Yeah, it was a pretty heartfelt message. The very first time I got it, I got teary and I actually just started getting emotional again reading it because it's gone into such a new phase from the first message. Yeah. So I had a message from a guy called Bert Jordan over in New Zealand and he was sitting down on the couch flipping through the news and all of a sudden I popped up with the story of Chasing Kanguro and he reached out and said, my name's Bert Jordan, I'm from New Zealand. I've got your grandfather's ski in my possession from when I knew him back in Singapore in the 80s. Get out. And I'm pretty sure it's the ski that he did the med run on. Mm, And I turned to Bindi and I had like goosebumps. I started getting all choked up and I'm like, this can't be right. And welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and inspiration. I just said the wrong thing, didn't I? What did you say? Inspiration. I like that though. Okay, we'll leave I all this in. I think we need to talk about inspiration more because essentially that's what comes out of our podcast. And I think that's what I was thinking about. People's then. inspiration. Let's keep this Let's in. Let's keep this in. How are you, Alex? <laughs> I'm good. Good? Did yeah. you survive last week okay? Yes. We yes. didn't see each other, right? I don't know. Did we see each other? I don't know. Yeah, we did. We interviewed Fred. Oh, yeah, Fred. Yeah. It was released today. Yeah. No, this will come out later. It'll come out later. Yeah. Um, he was fascinating. He was, he was. really interesting. He guy. was. I've thought about it all week. I'm like, I've done nothing. Where's my million dollars? <laughs> yeah. I'm not as good a nerd as you. Please make me a good Shut nerd. Shut up, you overachiever. <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, I'm really excited about this week's guest. This is a journey that I've personally followed for the past seven years. Um, It all started way back in 2010 when Alex Luther's mother passed on a scrapbook which had belonged to his late grandfather, Harry Luther. He was the world's top marathon water ski during the 1960s and 70s. The scrapbook, it was filled with Harry's water skiing adventures, including his greatest achievement, a world record, which involved him water skiing from um, Tangier, Morocco, to Serbia, Italy in 1970. Inspired by this, Alex decided he would recreate his grandfather's journey and continue the family legacy. There was just one catch. He'd never water skied a day in his life. (laughs) What follows next is an epic tale, which I'm dying to share with our listeners. Please welcome my old friend, Alex Luther from Chasing Kangaroo. Thank you for having me. Hey, Alex. How are you? Very well. Yourself? I just realized we've got two Alexes. That had not occurred before we stepped in here. What I'm thinking is, like, like we always call... um, Alex Luther, Luther. So right. from now on, you're going to be Luther. Thank you. I'm used to that. You good? <laughs> Works well for me. Um, so, t- I mean, let's start from the beginning. What was that moment when you went through this scrap? We've actually got it here, um, the beauty of podcasting. podcasting we can't yeah. actually see it, but we've got this... Um, Home. Yeah, this um, scrapbook here that was Harry's. What was it like when your mother gave you this? What went through your head? So... This is a replica of Harry's. Harry's actually looks like what you see on the cover here, which is this really, really old vintage with paper and he'd glued it on there. And when it was sitting on the bottom of a bookcase, I was living with a really good mate of mine. We were in Darlington and we had a bit of a loose night over at my place and my (laughs) sister was over with me. And it was a late hour in the evening and we were all chatting and just talking shit like you do with your siblings after a big night. And all of a sudden I gazed down at the bookcase and realised that we had our grandfather's scrapbook there. I was like, oh, let's dig this out and have a look at it. And we started flicking through it and I started understanding a little bit more about the level of achievement that my grandfather had endured over the years and not knowing him very well because he passed away in 88 when I was a little kid and not having a father growing up. I automatically had this immediate connection to what I was looking at in the scrapbook and I immediately had a role model that I could finally look up to, which I never had growing up without Mm. a father. So as soon as I started to see all these amazing adventures and exploits that he did, I was immediately drawn to him and I just immediately was inspired by all the things that he did. But then when I saw his world record water skiing around the entire Mediterranean, I just looked at my sister I'm like, we have to do this. Wow. This is too cool. This story has to be told in some way, shape or form. Failing that, let's just go and have some fun. And that's when the project really began. That was the moment. And you'd never water skied before. I'd never water skied at that point before, no. And I was still working on the project for a number of years before Mm -hmm. I actually started water skiing, which was only five years ago. So 2013. Wow. It was the first time that I water skied up on the Hawkesbury River. Because I'm terrified of water skiing now. 
Why? I cut my finger off. Have I never told you that? What? How did yeah. you manage to do that? Exactly, right? So I was 13. <laughs> I've never told you this, have I've I? I've never heard uh, this But story. hang on, how do you cut your finger off uh, skiing? <laughs> Alex is like, why haven't you told me before? I love it. Um, why do, do know, your fingers all look fairly normal? No, they don't. Oh, yes, that finger. That'll yes. sound great. It sounds like I've got like, no finger there. <laughs> it's just the tip of just his Just so you know, all fingers are here. <laughs> I can just, see all fingers. Just the tip. You know, clean it up, just Alex. The t- just clean it up, Alex. Come on. <laughs> Um, <laughs> is this the right podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Someone said that to me the other day. Like, watch your manners. I'm oh, sorry. So uh, we were th- uh, 13 and 14. Uh, my brother and I were out skiing. We'd been skiing for like six or seven years. Like my dad was a big boat nut. He was a barefoot skier. You know, same kind of vintage. You know, like <laughs> 70s and 80s. You know, boats that are far too overpowered. We're getting real confident. You know, we've got water skiing down pretty pat. Jumped a single ski. Jumped on the single ski. And for whatever reason, this this bar that I was holding had some kind of defect because every time we fell and the bar would leave our hands, both of us would get a little cut on our finger. And then just I tried it one time too, uh, one time too many, and suddenly like the whole of my top of my <laughs> finger was torn off. <laughs> so I hit the water and I'm like, you know, fuck this hurts, blah, blah blah. And I looked at it and I just put it straight back in the salt water because I couldn't even bear to look at it. And so I called the boat. I'm like, mum, mum, like I've cut my finger off. <laughs> And anyway, so then they got me in the boat and then, yeah, so then I went to the hospital, microsurgery later because I was playing guitar and I'm like, I don't want to stop playing guitar, I don't want to stop playing guitar. And then, yeah, three months later, they kind of, you know, had finished reattaching my finger. Wow. So I think you're amazing already. Just out <laughs> but what a skiing because I'm now terrified. Long list of phobias I've got. Can I make a suggestion? You need to come back up to the river this summer oh, and go for a ski. I should, I should. Face your fears, For you to be able to do it for that long, seven years, such a family-orientated sport. The fact that you just said, Mum, here, you know you're out there with your brothers. Yeah. The sport is all about family. It and is, it still it? is a forgotten sport in this country it is. in a lot of ways. And it was such a pastime, you know? It was the golden sport. All right, I'll do it. 60s. I'll do it, guys. Yay! Yay! We're, I'll we're get a tattoo. It you'll get water skiing. <laughs> Same day, Alex. Hey. Same oh, day. What is this podcast leading to? <laughs> Alex and Jai do really silly things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, Sorry, I've gone off course already. No, no. Um, so I want to talk about that time in your life. So I've known you for a long time and the Luther that I knew was like it's back in our party days. I remember one time being down at Beach Burrito in um, in Bondi and it was like a Sunday. I was like, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Next minute, round of margaritas comes out and it was Luther. Yeah, mar- round of margaritas for everyone. We're like, oh, okay, we'll have this round of margarita. And then like 10 minutes later, another round of margaritas rocked out. Oh, okay, I have this one. And then another round and then another round and another round. Next minute, we we're all shit faced, and Sunday blew out, and we were like, Yeah, party! <laughs> and you were the catalyst for that. So you were like the ultimate party boy. And then all of a sudden, you just stopped drinking and started training, and you were water skiing. So, at what point in your life did this come? Do you think that this came? Um, did, were you looking for something to change, or did this change you? I think this changed me in a lot of ways, but I was also seeking something. Yeah. I think by default, we're all adventurers in some way, shape or form. Yeah, we're always striving to try and find something new or better ourselves or constantly on some form of a journey. Life is a journey in so many different ways, shapes and forms. Mm. But then when you get delivered a gift like this, it changes your perception on things. And when you can look back at family history, which Mm. if you have never really had a strong family, you then go and try and seek it in a different way. So I think if I possibly had a father that was really close to me and brought me up and taught me heaps of cool things, I might not have wanted to turn around and look at my grandfather in more detail. Yeah. So there was a disconnection there in my family and I think this is in a really, really interesting way brought my current family so much closer. Yeah. <sighs> Do you think it was also a look at yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. When you talk back at not only when you and I met each other at a party boy, if you went even then back another generation to when I was a teenager, I was a little shit, plain and simple, a rat bag, thug, fights, drinking, parties, booze, you know, just the things look- that most little hood rats would do when you were growing up as a teenager. Because so, you look quite adult right now. Like <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I think I've grown up from those days, but you kind of you tick in enough boxes and whether they're good boxes or bad boxes growing up mm. you kind yeah. of you, you kind of like okay I've, I've had enough of that environment i've had enough of that life i've had enough of seeing friends get locked up and go to prison Jeez. i've had enough of seeing people in really really bad states friends getting hurt you know 
tearing away from family, running away from homes. I stayed in foster homes. I've, oh, I've, wow. I've ticked all those boxes that a lot of people don't have to tick. And when you come from a broken family and then all of a sudden you get an opportunity to then reconnect with a part of your family that you didn't really know about and that inspires you instantly, mm. you get a second wind of motivation behind you. Yeah. And when you're approaching 30 and you're kind of like, oh, it's a bit of a crossroad in my life here. I was working in a corporate environment. I was reasonably successful based on where I was as a teenager, but I was still kind of lacking something. Yeah. And I also think the connection that Harry and I have got from a hereditary perspective as well, I've got so many of his genes and he was an athlete. You look the same. Yeah. We'll we'll post this online for you guys to see. It's a spitting image. So he, he is an athlete, was just phenomenal for what he was able to do. He was an absolute machine, hands down. So there was this uncanny bond when I started to read more about him and then it was just easy to be able to just switch off and once you set yourself a goal and if you really really want it that hard you'll do anything to sacrifice to make it happen and that's why it was easy to just stop partying stop Hmm. drinking and focus on something and your purpose so let's take a step back um talk us through the whole challenge what it was I'm going to get the name wrong because I keep chasing... Chasing kangaroo. Kangaroo. I kept yeah. saying kangaroo before. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sure that's So we're chasing kangaroo. There, I said it. Yes. Uh, talk us through what it is, what inspired it and kind of, you know, baseline and then we'll kind of dig into what happened along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So chasing kangaroo was incepted around, in, incepted around Harry's nickname that the Italians gave him, which was effectively kangaroo, which translates to kangaroo in Australian. So when a really good mate of mine and him and I sat down and I told him about the project, what we're doing, like, what are we going to call it? And we're running through all these different names and figuring out what will this project be called? And it only made sense that we were going to be chasing him around the Mediterranean and chasing his record. Mm. And then looking through the scrapbook and finding all these different names, etc. I saw Harry Kanguro Luther and I knew straight away that would be the connection. We're going to be chasing Harry effectively, but we'll put a bit of a spin on it and connect it back to the Italians because the Italians meant so much to Harry and that was the reason that took him over to Europe in the first place was an Italian ski race. So that was the how Chasing Kangaroo was eventually Fantastic. accepted at the very beginning. So talk us through uh, where did this journey start? Where did you, where did you, what started first? Like what, what were your first steps in the project? Like I'm interested that you even had, wanted to name it first and then move through it, like... So the very first conversation that I had was with my cinematographer, Marcus O'Brien. So it was always going to be a doco? No, absolutely not. Not at all. So it was on New Year's Eve 2010. We were heading into 2011. You know, you catch up with people and it's like, oh, so what are your plans for the new year? And what are you going to be doing? And what's your New Year's well, resolution? I'm not drink as much. I'm going to lose some weight. And, you know, I'm not going to let boys tell me I'm what to do gonna anymore. I'm just going to break a world record for water screening across the Mediterranean. There you have it. So all these resolutions, when I said to Mobsy... I've just come across this scrapbook. I want to go and do what my granddad did. And he's like, what's that? And he said, water ski around the Mediterranean. He's like, awesome. But you haven't even water skied before. <laughs> and I said, no. And he goes, come on. And he goes, I said, no, 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 I'm serious. Yeah. And he's like, Let's talk more about this at another time. <laughs> You're drunk, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all Are had too sure? much. One of us has to go home. Is everything okay here? <laughs> so anyway, I went and caught up with him a couple of weeks later and showed him the scrapbook. And he said, you need to meet somebody. So he then introduced and set up a lunch with a guy called Alan Hogan, who's ex-executive producer at 60 Minutes. Mm. He's a Walkley Awards judge. He's been in journalism for many, many, many years. Now in retirement. When I took the scrapbook to him and he flipped through it, he turned to me and he says, I know that you're not a filmmaker and you might not think that you are, but I'm telling you right now, this is a story that you have to share. Wow. And that's when it really went into overdrive. That's when I sat down with my good mate and said this is what I'm planning on doing this is how it needs to be done if we are going to look at sharing it we need to put some content together etc that's when we came up with the name Uh, a bunch of my mates chipped in and gave Mm. me the website for my 30th birthday present and then from there it kicked off Uh, Mobsy and I then filmed a teaser that teaser comprised of me going and finding the same model boat that my grandfather used which was a 1969 Pride Fury so we went and tracked down the old boat we went and found the driver who drove the boat for Harry. Really? Ray Goodwin. Mm-hmm. He'd really? Su- yeah. He'd suffered a couple of strokes and his memory was a bit hazy, but when we caught up with him and sat down and started chatting with him, 
there was just this light sparked up in his eyes and he says any time that he could talk about this trip it brought meaning back into it because it was just a once in a lifetime opportunity wow. for him wow. so we filmed him and then we did a master interview with myself and this was all before i'd even water skied and the final See? component that we filmed yeah. was me skiing for the first time because i wanted to do it in succession so when we filmed the teaser people could understand that this is a journey from go to woe mm. so that was what took place that's incredible and then 2013 in May was when I skied for the very first time up in the Hawkesbury River at a place called Cliftonville, which was exactly where my granddad Harry used to ski. And got up first time? Third attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Single ski, third attempt. But my brother-in-law was there, Ben. He's a, a gun skier, <laughs> yeah. so he was there throwing some tips out. Yeah. But They help, don't it. you, when you're oh, like they being do. dragged on a boat and you're like, I can't hear you, but it sounds good. Yep. Every, you know. Absolutely. But there was a lot of physical training that was going yeah. into that point. So yes. you were doing – I remember you, you sometimes go and crash your workouts and you were doing like specialist training um, regimes to get your body ready for water skiing. Because before you were into cycling yes. and other sports, but yep. it was conditioning for that that first hit on the water, right? Yep, that's right. So the training was purely dedicated on generating as much core strength, stability, and also grip strength. Wow. Uh, you, so essentially, your grandfather, he started the brand Kanguru, whether he <laughs> intentionally wanted to create that brand or not. He started, but then you took it to that whole other level and mm. you took that process and to what it is today. Um, what do you think he would say about what you've created I don't know. I, the reason he created this scrapbook was for a reason. I constantly yeah. refer back to it. I'm like, why would you spend <laughs> so much time keeping track of all the articles? Like there's newspaper clippings here from all around the country, from Italy. I think there's 130-something pages in wow. here of newspaper articles and clippings. There's a reason that he kept this yeah. and whether or not it was – for him to be able to keep track of what he was doing, to be able to look back and see what he achieved himself or whether or not the intention was to hand this to somebody. Yeah. He always wanted a son mm. and he had two daughters, mm. my mum and my auntie, Shondella Nicoletta. And then just before he passed away, he was due to have a son, which he never got to meet. Mm. So he always wanted that son and I always wonder what it would have been like if he was around when I was growing up, whether or not I would have been thrown in at water skiing or yeah. I don't know. There's, there's a reason this was kept behind. So if he was to be looking down right now, I think he'd be pretty happy that what he did was was shared across the world in a different manner. Yeah, who would have thought? I wanted to know what the the hardest part of the challenge has been for you. Um, is it the training? Has it been, you know, getting sponsors? Has it been emotional barriers with family? Um, actually learning to water ski? What has been the hardest <laughs> part of this whole journey? I'd say the hardest part, water skiing was, was pretty easy, to be honest. That was a, probably one of the easiest things to pick up, believe okay. it or not. Have you skied out? I've um, wakeboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wakeboarded. So, yes, but I haven't skied. No. And yeah. I wait bought it up at the river actually. You did. You um, did. And, oh. yeah. and have I seen a photo of that? Very successfully. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, hard. the scheme wasn't the scheme wasn't too bad. I actually found it relatively easy. I think after skiing for the first few months, I then came back on a different scheme behind a different boat and had a really, really challenging day one day where I literally just could not get out of the water. Hmm. Uh, but I got over that pretty quickly and moved on. But I think the hardest part about the challenge for me was finding the right team. Mm. Right. You can't water ski by yourself. Yeah. You, you can't. It's impossible. You need someone to drive the boat and preferably you need an observer to be able to watch you in case something happens. Quietly between us. There's been a few times I have gone for a training run up on the Hawksley River without an observer, but that's on a very quiet day. But predominantly <laughs> when you're doing something of this scale – you need an observer. Yeah. So I think what I found challenging over the years was keeping a team that was on the same page as me, motivated, yeah. striving towards achieving that goal. And that was probably the toughest is finding a crew that could actually take me water skiing as often as I needed to be going. Or How was often able was it? To go. Well, towards the end in the lead up, we were out sometimes three, three times a week. Yeah. How and long? And in Sydney Harbour, we'd go anywhere from an hour up to a couple of hours. 
And were you doing it because it's it's a it's an inlet sea where you were where you ended up doing it? Oh, the Med's pretty exposed. Yeah, the Mediterranean so and also the, the Adriatic. He- so we'd we'd go out in Sydney Harbour and then also out out the heads, out the heads and, and up and down the coast. Incredible. But even Sydney Harbour itself, yeah. you know, still getting four and a half five meter swell on wow. a big day, even in the harbour. So it was a pretty good training ground for us, and I think the last few months training in Sydney Harbour paid off amazingly for us for the conditions that we got dealt with. But back to the early questions, it was finding the right team. Mm. That was the most challenging for me. I had drivers come and go, and yep. you know they were. Your sister was there the whole way. Mitsu was there pretty much the entire way, which was yeah. great. Yeah. As was Jake as well. Jake, who used to ski with me, he came along and. He was an all-rounder on the boat. And then the driver that ended up driving for me, I met six months before we actually took off. Wow. And I was – there was a moment there where I didn't even have a driver. Really? Yep. And it's not a cheap sport, I can imagine. It's <laughs> not like, oh, I'm going to be a runner and I'd just go and buy some joggers. <laughs> it's, you know, you had to buy a freaking boat. Like, yeah. Yes. What was that process like getting – you know, you had some amazing partners that came on board for the big, you know, the big race – or the big – um the big marathon ski, what was that journey like? Finding the partners. Yeah, finding partners was, and people that are buying to your story. Yeah. You know, you'd never water skied before. You were going to do this. There was a chance that you might not beat your grandfather's record. Uh, but it seems like so many people came out of everywhere to rally and help you with this. Yeah, and that, that took time. So the second hardest thing was getting everything to line up for the right reasons and with the right partners. And once again, I think it was a timing thing and having – the right people arrive at the right time was the principality of Monaco was such a massive <laughs> contributing factor to us. And a lot of people were trying to figure out what's, what's Monaco got to do this? Why were you there with Prince Albert? But it goes back once again to Harry's journey. And if it wasn't for what Harry did, we wouldn't have been able to replicate that in so many different ways outside of his record. Mm. He was given a whole bunch of miniature wooden water skis from a guy called Ron Marks. And Harry was dropping off these wooden water skis to all the local town mayors along the route that he was doing, which was around the entire coastline of the Mediterranean. And when he arrived into Monaco, this was the era of Grace, Princess Grace Mm. and Princess Rainier. So it's like, oh, we'll just drop into the palace and drop off a wooden water ski. So (laughs) rocks up to the palace, drops off the wooden water ski. Didn't get a chance to meet Prince Rainier or Princess Grace at the time, but was then sent a letter from Prince Rainier thanking him for the gift and the wooden water ski along with some water skiing badges that he gifted him mm-hmm. and congratulating him on his journey and his travels and his world record. Wow. And when I took this scrapbook, replica scrapbook, up to go see my grandma a couple of years before I decided to set a date for the trip, she went over and pulled out the original letter <gasps> from Prince Rainier really? and said, you need to start in Monaco. And she was trying to get me to start in Monaco and I'm like, no, no, that's not the trip. <laughs> Harry didn't start there. I can't change the trip. Two weeks before we set out to go and do the recon, which was the plan to drive the entire coastline via the road to go and scout out all the stops that my grandfather did, go and have a look at all the marinas and see whether or not it was even achievable to drive the coastline of the Mediterranean in 10 days. I picked up the phone after looking up the Australian consulate to Monaco online. And it was a random number. <laughs> 32 digits long. It was a cold call. And <laughs> a gentleman by the name of Hadrian Borelli picked up the phone. Yeah. He'd been in the job for two weeks. <gasps> he was a Monegascan living in Australia for the oh, past sorry. 10 years who happened to be in sports marketing. And this was the oh, first really? phone call that he received. It was me saying, this is what my granddad did back in 1970. I'm going to be doing this. If there's any way that we can try and do something, I'd love to get involved. And it was close to two years. And this was one of the reasons why we pushed the trip back a year because we still didn't have any major partners on board. So it wasn't possible. My sister had a baby. We had massive changes in my career, starting a finance business with some good mates. And You started a business in the middle of all this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So one thing that when we finally had the nod from the Principality of Monaco saying – Prince Albert will greet you at the Royal Yacht Club. He can't wait to meet you. The family history between Prince Rainier and your grandfather. He's an ex-Olympian and a sporting fan. He cannot wait to meet you. It was go time from then. That's when we could then deliver a really strong marketing pitch and we went out to the likes of Axapar, 
and also Mercury, who then became our major partners with the boat and the engine. Yeah. You look so calm now. <laughs> And I don't look calm now. And I'm aware I don't look <laughs> Your calm. head just exploded. You're the head exploding emoji right now. Yeah, I feel like it. Um, when you knew that was kind of the next level of expectation, um, did that change your approach? Did you feel nervous about it? Did you feel? Did you feel like pressure? Pressure? Like, did you? Did how did it change you? Like uh, psychologically or emotionally? I just turned it into fuel. Wow. That you, you have to find ways to motivate it. Fear is a really great fuel yep and fear of failure is an amazing thing to be able to use if you can harness it in the right ways wow and having prince albert sitting there whenever i trained i just pictured meeting him and once again for some once reason he's in his speedos in my head as soon as you said that, i just pictured him and i knew i had to keep going so that's it's it's a different way it depends what you can do with fear fear can be harnessed in the right ways mm. so for those of you who haven't water skied um, it's it's a pretty intense feel. Oh, I've always found it intense. You've probably learned to to relax with it a lot. But Alex, I think even from a wakeboarding point mm-hmm. of view, what's how, firstly how long are you on the water a day, um, and how long literally between breaks uh, were you up? And what was going through your head the whole time you're out there? Great questions. They're great questions. They're really I wish I wrote some of these questions, <laughs> Alex. So on average, it was seven and a half hours per day. The right. shortest time in the water was just over five hours. Yeah, the and nine the, to five job, basically. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. For and 11 days? So 10 days. 10 days. 10, 10 days. days. And then the longest day was just under 11 hours. I saw that and I tried to imagine being in a water skiing position for 11 hours a day, let alone being in the sea for 11 yeah. hours. Like that. I got jelly legs and my arms were shaking after like 10 minutes on the back of a wakeboard. It's, it's different for people that know skiing and especially ski races. If you're in a fixed position at high speed in calm water, your body locks up into a certain position. Oh, it's like if you wow. were to go over there right now and do a wall squat, yep. yeah. you're probably going to get to close to a minute and you're going to start wigging out and everything's going to start to shake and the lactic acid is going to burn. I've got to go 30 seconds. You know. yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. So... The ski racing champions that represent Australia are on another level of fitness. Yeah. Like they could go over there and probably sit there and wall squat for 20 minutes and sit there chatting with you and eating food. And is it more of a dynamic motion for them or is it a static it's motion? It's a fixed static motion really? at those high speeds on the rivers. So that's when you get a really, really intense burn. Whereas the speeds that we were doing over in the Mediterranean were much less and we were in rough water. So mm. the body's constantly moving. Even though it was still tough yeah it was nowhere near to the level of what you would experience at really high levels in a fixed position and because it was so rough and i was constantly having to battle the swell yeah i was constantly moving which means i wasn't locked up and in a fixed position where i was getting really bad lactic acid build up yeah. over those long times so yours is more dynamic is is it higher impact at that point so yes. your joints and everything correct right. exactly right so a comparison might be say your track runners doing their marathon versus people who are doing you know, the 100Ks through the yep. Blue Mountains, et cetera, where those dynamic movements take their toll and impact-wise, but from Correct. A, you know, static motion. And, exactly uh, right. Load point of view, it's going to be a lot less. Yep, it'd be mm. like the downhill skiers versus yeah, the, the moguls. Yeah. Yeah. That go from side to side and yeah. they're constantly joint mobility and moving. Yeah. That would okay. be the best comparison in terms okay. of the, the skiing and what we went through. And so for you, what was your level of fitness before you did it? It was, it was up there. I still had doubts whether or not I was fit enough. You always will when you're going to embark on a journey like this. Mm. And the times that I didn't get up to train in the morning, I always questioned, is this going to come back to haunt me? Wow. Wow. Have I done enough? You always have to question yourself. If you don't question yourself, then I think having too much confidence will possibly come back to bite you in the ass. You can't have too much arrogance when you're going into an endeavor like this. So, of course, you have to question your ability because if you're not questioning your ability, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah. So you're constantly having to push yourself. Did, did you have to have to deal with overtraining? Did you get sick? Did you get injured? No, I'm pretty lucky. I think the only injury I had was a mild rotator cuff tear when I had a barefooting accident, but that was four years ago and it only kept me out for a month. I can still do a lot of training even without a shoulder. What speed are you doing barefooting? And sorry, barefooting is no skis, just loose on the water, right? Barefoot. Yeah, well, this was me going out onto a beginner bar and you're kind of doing anywhere between 45 to 50 mile an hour. Jeez. Wow. 
Wow. I remember the first time I ever saw someone do barefooting. I thought, how are you? It looks pretend. You're basically Jesus. How yeah, are yeah. you walking on water right That's now? That's one thing I've got my brother-in-law in my ear about now that this trip's over and <laughs> I can actually go and injure myself without having too many dramas. <laughs> time to go barefooting. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> one question I was going to ask was, you've dedicated eight, uh, seven years to this journey. So many people would have given up at so many different points. Um what do you think kept you going? There well, were so many things at points where you could have just been like, oh, you know what, I've done a lot now. I've learned how to water ski. I've- yeah, like I'm so, like, it sounds really defeated, but how early you told people you were going to do this? Yeah. Like that's insane. Like eight years ago, I can't even remember what I was doing, like let alone setting a goal for eight years in the future, let alone telling people, hey, I'm going to do this, like. But you'd be really surprised when you wake up every single day and you're telling yourself what you're going to do, how much it easier, how easy it is to be able to then harness those thoughts and that energy. Yeah. Because you've got to remember <coughs> seven years then gets built up into 10 days. Yeah. 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 So when you're waking up every single day and you've got this goal in mind of what you want to achieve, regardless of how far away it is. I didn't expect it to be seven years down the track when I said, I'm going to go water skiing and I'm going to go crack my granddad's record. I didn't know it was going to be seven years later. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, we can knock this out in a few years. We should be sweet. But then, no, let's do it right. Let's plan it out. Let's get some content. Let's get a teaser inside. Let's go find the old boat. Let's start water skiing. But then even when I started water skiing, I'm like, I can't go do this next year. (laughs) So I had to go find a crew that could, come and help me train and then I went and bought a race boat so we could start skiing more and develop more skills and then I had to get a crew for that and then there's time and cost and investment and travel and then figuring out which crew is going to actually go over there then we had to fly over and do the recon and like it was really easy when you look back at it now how easily that seven years just came like that. How did you know what to do? I know that sounds like a really 101 question, but the, the way you just lined it out then, it's like, oh, of course you do this, you do that, you do this and that. Did you have someone who had set a, like a, you know, essentially you're a modern day adventurer. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a weird thing to say, mm-hmm. but they kind of said, you know, Shackleton's journey was probably one of the last big adventures that we'd ever take. And then today it is around these smaller feats, but, you know, a lot a few of them are actually around physical endurance mm-hmm. adventure. How did you know what logistically to even put together? Was this, you know, was that through the team? Was that through research? Was that just, just on your own kind of just grit? Pretty much on my own grit. Yeah, I've, my nickname's Details for a reason. So I'm <laughs> really? quite a detailed person. And even having the scrapbook and seeing all the places that Harry went to, it kind of made it easy to go. Sweet, we'll just go and do what Harry. You go did. to Luther's house and everything has a place. It's perfectly in order. His poor wife, she's just like can't leave her shoes out for twenty minutes after she gets home from work. They'll be I'm straight terrified. away. But you were saying, I remember you telling me one time that Harry was the same. He used to sweep the stones into the car park or a carport or something, yeah. right? Yeah, the driveway would have the pebbles concrete for the tears and the pebbles in the middle. <laughs> and if like a few pebbles were out, he'd he'd lose it. <laughs> so genetically, so similar. So it's just. It's a certain mindset. Everyone's got different ways of how they look at things and I just looked at it and logistically went, okay, sweet, that makes sense. This is how we do it. We go do the recon and it just Switch was easy to plan out. I've got a finance business with a couple of mates. We do asset finance. Sounds very great compared to what I do. <laughs> I spend the day making bacon jokes. <laughs> that actually sounds like fun. Don't go bacon my heart. I'm like not that? kidding. You will see that ad and I'm not making this up. I couldn't if I fried. Yes. Yes. I don't think my client of mine. Yeah. But that'll be out soon. Awesome. Yeah. Then we had to make bachelor jokes. That was fun. That's a dumb show. Yeah. <laughs> We've a lot of people would love to swap jobs for a day. Uh, not if it involved being on the water for 11 hours. Yeah. Coming back to mindset, what did you think about for a, that day when you were out there for 11 hours? Me saying that you listened to music a lot mm. when you were out on the water, but oh, then yeah. at one point you gave way and just said, I don't want to listen to water. Mm. Uh, so I want to listen to water. <laughs> I don't want to listen to music. What, what were you thinking about? So the music I had to get rid of because it became a huge distraction because it wasn't working in accordance with how it was when we were testing in Sydney Harbour. So I had a different helmet, which meant everything was nice and enclosed with my AirPods in Sydney Harbour. You wore AirPods? Yeah, had AirPods. (laughs) So I had AirPods with some sports tape over the ears, 
the helmet that I was training in Sydney Harbour was a ski racing helmet, which was bright orange goggles, and it was a skydiving helmet, so it was really good and compact. So when I signalled my sister and had the phone on auto answer, she'd call me and she could hear me loud and clear because there was no wind and it was perfect. So we're like, we've got comms, this is what we're going to do. So when we went over to the med and I changed my helmet to a gaff helmet, which had a visor, which dropped down to protect my face from sun and wind, etc. What we didn't realise was getting off the back of the boat you have to slide off and I would completely submerge underwater, which meant my head was going underwater, oh. which it didn't do that in Sydney Harbour, sliding off the nose of the race boat. Yeah. So the very first time I went under the water, water came into my ears and was cutting in and out. And I ended up missing my very first start off the coast of Morocco because we had too long of rope, but I also <laughs> wasn't paying attention because I was so distracted with the music cutting in and out, wondering if I was about to get electrocuted in my <laughs> ear. And you're holding onto your rope in the water. <laughs> so we got up and going and this kept on cutting in and out. So I had to, with one hand, get the AirPod out, quickly grab onto the front bar because it was rough water and figure out what to do with this AirPod. So I unzipped the wetty, threw the AirPod in, zipped it back up, kept on skiing. Whoa. Day two, similar issues, but sports tape, I didn't get my head wet, but it was so windy because it was a different helmet. When I signaled my sister to call me, she rung. And we were screaming at each other to try and talk and it right. was just became really frustrating. Mm. So you needed, because, you know, being a techno, every solution went through my head, but you actually needed a cell signal yes. while you were there. Yes, correct. Right. Wow. Because yep. Speedo make those waterproof headphones, but they're enormous. You can't stick them under They're your, massive. You, you can't. can't and, and wind as well doesn't help as well. Yeah. So that was day two. And then I received a phone call as well which didn't help someone rung which wasn't my sister (laughs) and it was a spanish mercury technician trying to call me to find out if we're going to be on time for the engine change and i was like i'm fucking scared hang up hang up and he just just stayed on the line for ages and then it was day three was the final tipping point for me when i had rolling stone sympathy for a devil on repeat nine fucking times (gasps) in the roughest water ever and thank God, something hit stop or pause. But I, I actually heard it for the first time in a cafe the other day playing in the background. And I subconsciously I was like, Ugh. I squirmed in my seat when I heard it. It's a Zoolander. It. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> Kill something. You just stand up. Oh, I just, I just felt a bit weird. But that then from day four onwards got rid of all the music and it was the best thing that I could have done because day four was my biggest day on the water and it was so nice to be able to get out there and that was the first time that we went into what we called no man's land where we didn't see any land whatsoever. Really? And we were out there in no man's land for six hours straight. I'd fucking die. It was perfect because up until then we'd be skiing along a a coastline effectively like a big bay and... You'd ski one bay and then think that you're going to turn left and head in towards a marina in the next bay, but then you'd hug that bay and you'd go to another point Mm. and then another point and then another point and another point and it became really difficult mentally to know where is the finish line Mm. because you're constantly looking out for a marina and then all of a sudden you'd see like a marina with all yacht masts and the boat would start heading towards that way and I'd be like, oh, sweet, we're done for the day and then it would peel off and go towards the next point. So there was never a finish line for me out there. Whereas... And there's no, there no reference. If you see a point ages away, like, sweet, I'm going to get to that point. Yeah. And then surely we're going to be turning left after that point. And you'd get to that point and you'd be like, okay, this is starting to take its toll. Yeah. Whereas out there in no man's land, you just switch off and you've got no, no relevance of time. What was this, uh, the swell out like there compared to... It was pretty good. It was yeah. still reasonably slow speeds. We're only averaging anywhere between 30 to 35 mile an hour out right. there, which is pretty slow considering we were expecting to be doing 50 the entire trip, which mm. blew out our times and we had to really do some amazing things that we didn't think we were capable of on that day. Was there ever a time when you were out there either, you know, at a, at, a, at a checkpoint or, you know, just leaving another checkpoint, you know, for the next morning exhausted that you thought, I'm not going to be able to do this. There was only one day and it was about five minutes. It was day two. We left Adra in the morning and we were meant to be in Alicante at about 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. And then we were meant to be in Valencia at two o'clock in the afternoon. We arrived into Alicante at three o'clock in the afternoon. 
So we were completely behind an entire leg. And we pulled in and it was really, really rough water that day too. And that was the first time I looked at everyone and I was just like, fuck, how did Harry do this? Mm. How did he actually do this? There's no way that he could have done this for 10 days because we were so far behind in time because the speeds were so bad because the conditions were so rough. And there was a few minutes where I literally had to sat down just by myself and go, what do we do from here? How do we do this? So what happened then? <laughs> I just rallied the team up the problem with that day was we had a scheduled engine change which had to take place on that day the very first 300 v8 Verado engines that mercury had ever produced were on our boat and when the head of mercury identified that they realized we need to get them off they're the prototype engines and we need to put certified engines Fuck. from the factory yeah. onto the boat on day two so if anything had happened to those prototypes it's obviously not ideal so these new engines which had been certified obviously had better fuel efficiency out of all the things that had been ironed out in the prototype so hats off they made the right call and they moved heaven and earth to make this happen they were absolutely wow. phenomenal what those guys did from mercury that team was just amazing but that schedule change had to happen and we had to make a call on whether or not I was going to try and ski in those conditions to try and make it in time for that change. And that's when it became a huge tipping point of whether or not it was even achievable. So two things I, I really hear clearly there. The, the first one is I think it's amazing that someone like Mercury or any kind of like corporate mm. uh, partner invests so much in someone. You know, I think a lot of the times people are really, and obviously this is me talking from an ad point of view, but like I think people a lot of the time are very dismissive of sponsors, you know, why people are there, etc. Like they weren't just giving you engines on the boat. They were making sure you arrived mm. not only safely but mm. when you needed to. Mm. Um, the second thing there is I... Are you are you directing the 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 trip or you know for so you imagine to use a terrible football analogy if you're a player you're not the coach for a reason mm -hmm. you're exhausted mm -hmm. you, you're tired you're fatigued you can't see the whole game is is what you were doing sorry when you set out obviously you did all the planning and you know I think I know the answer to this but making those calls day to day was that solely you was it you consulting some people was there someone that you trusted above and uh, above everyone else to say look. If I'm, you know, wigged out, you know, and exhausted and freaking out and in a panic, I'll check, I'll default to you. Or was there even, you know, another option, which is you were, you know, you were there to, you know, push through when somebody else was going to make all those calls? Yeah, it's a really good, a good point because we all had certain roles during the trip. Obviously, I was a skier. Shane was a driver. Mitzi was the observer. Jake was there to help with observing mm. and driving as a backup. We had Mobsy and Dan who were filming and taking photos and then I had my sister's partner Spook driving the van and Bindi was there to kind of coordinate media and all that kind of stuff. But then as all these curveballs started getting thrown at us, everyone took a different role and Bindi and Shane took the main role of coordinating everything with all of our major partners, which included Mercury. A lot of the decisions that were made, I didn't even know about. I couldn't. I was out in the back of the ski. Mm. We'd agreed that the phone calls weren't working. <laughs> can, you, can you call me and uh, let me so, know? I want to see a show of hands up in the boat and then I want a second vote if we're not winning the... Absolutely. So we, 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 everyone literally just blended into these different roles and it really took us a few days to everyone to get into their groove and figure out how to make this work really well. And I think everyone just immediately took their own roles and Bindi being the legend that she is and the experience that she's had working on all the events, dealing with media, dealing with major partners. She you know, led comms in a very, very well-known luxury brand for Asia Pacific. So mm. she can make decisions like that off the fly without batting an eyelid and she knows how to tell people what needs to be done. Yeah. So she was making a lot of the calls and even pushing back on Shane yep. and Shane was also pushing back on a lot of people saying, no, we're not going to be doing that. We need to be there at that time. I need to protect him as a skier. Yeah. Mm. Bindi would do the same thing. We're not leaving at 11am tomorrow. We need to be at the finish line on this day. We're leaving at 6am. Yeah. You do whatever you need to do throughout the course of the night. So all these things were happening without my knowledge and I'd get a report at the end of the day of... <laughs> <laughs> this, this, that, that, that. And then they'd leave pretty key decisions like what do you actually want to try and do tomorrow? Do you want to try and make it to this destination tomorrow? Do you think you're going to be able to do that? Yeah. You know, those big ones that came down onto me physically. Yeah. But the rest of it, everyone just owned their own roles. And to be honest, without this team, I wouldn't have been able to cross the line. 
So throughout this, you've mentioned someone named Bindi. And what I love, I'm such a romantic at heart. What I love is um, throughout this whole journey, there's been a bit of an underlying love story. So don't laugh at me. Come on. It's romantic. (laughs) No, this wasn't written. I just did it off the cuff. But I think it's a love story because here you were, the boy who'd never water skied a day in his life. And all of a sudden you get introduced to a beautiful girl who's grown up on the water, water skiing her whole life. Her family has shack at the river and she's been water skiing since she could swim. And you guys end up dating and she's sort of been there that whole journey as well. well I mean, you can't write this stuff. No, it's it's crazy. <laughs> the first time I met her and I told her what I was doing, she's like, oh, you need to come up to the river. and I was there that night, by the way. It was at a, a bar, I think, at the cross. One of yes, our friends introduced you. She was like, was. You, guys should, yeah, you guys should meet. I think you'll get along. Yeah, and it was just, once again, it was one of those other <laughs> things or relationships or people that came into the journey at the right time at the right places. And then, lo and behold, three years later, I'm up on the Hawks River with her brother-in-law learning to water ski. <laughs> What did she say when you first told her about what you were planning on doing? Don't really, I can't remember. I think it was kind of a puzzled look, probably <laughs> like, really? But at the same time, kind of like, well, that sounds cool, you know? But obviously, we weren't dating at that point. But yeah. since then, she's been an absolute rock of support. And then to be there at the finish line, to be there when I skied for the very first time, and then to be there at the finish line, yeah. it's pretty special. And around her family, you know, all the weekends going up to the river and water skiing and being around. And I guess that kind of, you've talked, I know you've talked in the past about water skiing community almost being a bit of a family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, up there. So. And it still is. We've got a, now we've got a shack two doors down from <laughs> her sister and brother-in-law's shack. So it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful environment to be at. And then just to, you know, make the romantic fairy tale even um, more poetic, you're about to be a father and have a son of your own. Yes, correct. We've got a baby boy during November and Bindi carried him along for the trip, <laughs> stuck in that van. She probably did more kilometres than we did out in the water in the van. So hats off to, to her and yeah, I can't wait. It's a perfect timing to have this project at least the trip and the skiing yeah. element of it now done and we can move on to the next phase of the project. But then to have a, a boy arriving soon too, it's a whole other adventure that we can't wait. And what would you say to him? If he, was it you going to ask that? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, sorry. You can ask it. I, I think for me, I was going to say, I think everything you said at the start was really interesting in terms of what, what motivated you and what inspired you to do this. And even for me right now, I'm like, there's so much that I've suddenly started thinking about my own life and kind of decisions that I've made, but also you do, you always think about those things that you want to tell other people. So are there things that number one, you would tell just anyone who's at the point in your life that you were where they are searching for something, there's something missing. And secondly, yeah. What is, what do you kind of hope for your son Mm. as a second? Mm. First part of it was never undervalue yourself. Don't underestimate what you're capable of. I think, what people seem to always forget is what the body is actually capable of mm. is so much more than you could possibly imagine. Mm. And even if you're new to something, it's just time. That's all you need to do. You just need to put time and effort into things and you'll become a master of it. I can tell you right now, I'm nowhere near a master of water skiing, but I did enough with the ability of focus and determination to want to achieve something big that you can harness that energy to be able to then deliver on the result and that's basically what we did if you if you want to do something just go after it and even if you do fail just keep going yeah the amount of times i fell on the ski learning i was an absolute retard out there in (laughs) so many ways if you saw jake and i during our rookie years trying to learn how to ski race together and starting out the back of the boat honestly i wish we'd actually filmed a lot of that because from where we started to where we are now it's just Time and effort and persistence and dedication is what you have to put. But it's the same as anything. If you want something that is so rewarding and has a massive payoff at the end of it, you have to work hard to get there. So entering fatherhood, kind of where you came from, and there's a lot of points there that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Is there a future that – is there an ideal future that you would have for your son – that you're looking forward to and that, you know, you and Bindi are really looking forward to. Yeah, look, I can't wait to be able to be there for him. 
that's probably the most important mm. thing is to always be there for him and always have something to be able to share for with him and yeah. whether that's knowledge or advice just in general to be able to be there to encourage him and always make sure that he's striving for the best and you know if he wants to turn around and have a crack at my record Go for it. <laughs> Just prepare yourself. <laughs> Make sure that you're ready for anything and everything to go wrong because that's one thing that we learnt heavily. My detailed plan and logistics down to the minute of where we were going to be and arriving <laughs> at this marina, everything got blown out of scope massively. There was empty hotel rooms for four nights because we didn't rock up where we thought we were going to rock up. Wow. So, you know, if it's going to go pear-shaped you just need to make sure that you've got the ability to be able to react to that in the right way and yeah if, if anyone wanted to go and have a crack at something at this size just yeah be prepared be prepared for anything that's probably the most inspiring thing i've heard in a long time wow thank you thank you so much for sharing that with us thank you for having me i feel like this is just the beginning of a new journey um so for people who want to continue following you on what you're doing um, website chasingkanguro.com.au and um, social media. Yep. 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 So on Facebook, on Instagram, Chasing Kanguro, C A N G U R O, which translates into kangaroo. Yeah, kangaroo. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I understand this now. <laughs> well, you didn't this get it sense. until now to the end of the podcast. <laughs> Kangaroo, kangaroo. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and yeah, quite, quite, a, quite a really motivational. I mean, I, can't, I can imagine you on circuits talking to, well, anyone really about your journey and what you've done. So thank you for taking some time yeah. to share that with us. That's been really amazing. I think thanks for being so open about everything. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you for having me on. See you both in the water this summer. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there we go. Get some skiing to catch up yeah. on. <laughs> the, it'll be like this little home video. Like, oh. We'll share it with you guys yeah. on, uh, online. Absolutely. <laughs> but thanks so much for tuning in. If you uh, want to share your own creativity or want to get in touch with us, you can uh, hit us up. We've got a Facebook group, Maker and Creator Pod, or you can uh, touch base with Jai. He's uh, Jai Smith or Double Star Co. I'm on Ms. Darlinghurst, MS Darlinghurst. And uh, yeah, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. And that's it. We'll be back next week.